Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. I'm graduate assistant Jacob Michael. Here with me is my fellow graduate assistant Jason Dawes, as well as our host, Dr. Russ McCullough, director and founder of the Gordon Institute, and Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. All right, so it's hard not to do Corona Part 2, the electric boogaloo today. So here we go. One week. Did we just do Corona the last episode? I think we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And man, things have changed uh, dramatically since then. I think we were dealing in probabilities of this or that, and I think still that's some of that's true today. But um, I wanted to focus in on the idea of property rights and economic freedom, or personal freedom, really, I guess, uh, economic freedom being more with the our freedoms to exchange the things we own or give them away for free or whatever. Uh, which is tightly related to some of our civil liberties and other things. And uh, over the last few days, a lot of those rights, depending on the state you're in, have been yanked right out from under you. I heard the mayor of Chicago more or less say, or was it, I mean, it might have been the governor of Illinois. I can't remember if it's the mayor of Chicago or governor of Illinois, but basically saying, Hey, I I said you guys should be good, and you went out and partied on St. Patty's Day weekend anyway. So naughty, naughty you, we're closing all the bars and restaurants and everything else. Well, there's a Um, video of police driving down Bourbon Street, and they're like 12 squad cars just telling people to go home. To go home. Yeah, because they're talking about bringing the National Guard in because people are just ignoring them. So, I mean, it's, it it is a little bit amazing. I'm sure most people think of it, maybe not think about this, you know, these are unique times, unique circumstances, but in fairly short order, some places have really turned into a police state. (laughs) That to me is a little, is a little scary. As far as I know, they're not outright arresting people for going out of their homes or something or detaining them, but um, I, uh, we're probably not too far from that happening, I think. So I don't know, Justin, what do you think about the police state that is evolving before our eyes? Uh, I think you're definitely right that it is evolving before our eyes. And I was talking with a friend about it and my, my friend of mine who lives in San Francisco and we were, cause they have a shelter in place order in right now, which, you know, means stay where you are. Okay. Uh, and all, all I did not, I've not heard it. I've not heard it referred to that before. So yes. shelter in place order. Shelter is, in place. One's being debated for New York city right now too. That's on like the front page of drudge. And yeah. By the time, by the time this airs, this will all be old news. Right? Yeah, I know. Which That's is, what's hard. Which <laughs> is really, so that was the other thing I was talking to my friend about because I, you know, he was like, I'm pretty worried. And I was like, well, me too. Uh, one of the things I'm worried about is that this is day two of this, really. Um, right. I, I start counting from the moment civil liberties start being restricted. <laughs> um, and so that was, you know, Sunday night or Monday. Yeah. Um, a bunch, you know, the restaurant that I used to work at 
is yeah. closed. A bunch of the restaurants in Lawrence are closed. Boy, your resignation looks very uh, prophetic at this point. Yeah. That's a... <laughs> uh, everybody I know in the service sector lives paycheck to paycheck. I know. And so, know. And so this is, that's really going to be a huge disruption. And the thing about the, you know, it becoming a police state is, you know, you have to balance. If you're going to shut down all these places, what kind of obligation does the government have to these people when it's forbidding them to work? Yeah. And how to balance that with, you know, not turning into a police state or with some kind of measures that are only temporary. I'm thinking back to like 9-11, where after 9-11, it was, oh, you know, we need to, uh, we need to increase security. So, you know, we passed the Patriot Act. Now, these measures are always couched as temporary measures, but right. they almost never go away. Yeah. So that would be my worry. One is how easily people are willing to forfeit their civil rights in a time like this. Um, right. And how those uh, hard-won uh, liberties are often never regained. Right. Those are great points. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, I feel the same way that once you've opened up that uh, Pandora's box and basically granted powers where they weren't before, uh, there's kind of a grab. And and rightful uncertainty and discretion of, of, you know, when is the appropriate time to give them back? You know, is the, is the next virus right around the corner uh, or not? And so, well, we're not sure. So maybe it would be better if we're all, if we just have a nationwide curfew of, of 11 PM every night, you know what I mean? I'm just making up the curfew thing, but, but some, something could remain sticky because, you know, the world would be a safer place if we all had a little more restrictions on our ability to move around the country. So this was kind of a good idea. It was really eye-opening that we can, from the government's perspective, manage, we can have an agency that'll manage the safety of, of everybody. I'm sorry to add a little sarcasm to my voice, but I, I really do fear that, that that is the direction it'll, it can head. Well, so we'll, Go ahead, sorry. Justin. Characteristically, the government never likes to waste a crisis you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, right. There, there is this big push to, uh, well, let's have this federal federal response to it and deal with it at this level. But that's also happening at a time when I think, you know, the average taxpayer's confidence in the government is at an absolute minimum. Mm-hmm. So what would a more libertarian response to this be? Because I, I, I mean, I've been trying to think through this. I think it'd be pretty hard to coordinate action in the face of something like this. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, it, with with the prices going up, I know, I know that especially in Kansas, they put a, def- or a bunch of limits on price gouging too. So how can you coordinate na- action when you have even that just fighting against you? Because instead of me just buying se- eight, instead of me buying eight rolls of toilet paper, now that the li- limit's gone down, or the, the price has gone down by mandate, I might buy 10, right? Yeah, so... Uh- First of all, you know, I can, I can improvise toilet paper. I don't, I don't know where I <laughs> that was just an example, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, the toilet paper thing just blows my mind. I, yeah, I saw this, too. I think it was a tweet. Some philosopher actually put it out. They're like, I can improvise toilet paper. I can't improvise coffee or wine, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, or red meat. Right. I, I mean, oh. especially if you're a philosopher, you have a shelf full of books Eighty percent of which are not any good. So uh, <laughs> a ton of toilet paper ready for you. Well, um, my dad was saying but, the 
the Walgreens and Topeka that they weren't even putting hand sanitizer out anymore and you had to ask for it because they were getting people to bring lawn chairs into the Walgreens and sitting in front of the shelf. And then they were forming lines of long chairs <laughs> in the store. And as soon as they put it out, the first person would just buy it all. Yeah, I, I, oh. completely, I completely believe that. And my wife went to the store because, you know, we were actually getting a little low on toilet paper. And she was like, she just bought one. Uh, the <laughs> only one they had out there was like a 12 pack. Yeah, sure. And, and it was like the of the worst, you know, cheapest Single ply. Yeah, what you would find in the bottom of the administration building. (laughs) That was my backup plan was come and go to the soccer locker room and take one of the big rolls. It it was expensive, you know, it was like like seven bucks or something, which is higher than usual. And, you know, she was like, wow, they really jacked up the prices. And I I said, that's good. That prevents Mm -hmm. people from buying a year's worth of supply of toilet paper when it uh, gives you an economic incentive to only take as much as you need for the next right. the actual know, value week that or so. Yeah. Um, the same thing happens with gasoline and stuff. So I think that if you want to have a libertarian solution to something like this, it would be to give money directly to people and to let prices do what they may. Did but, you, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, did you also hear about um, the people who are now banned on Amazon because they went around their small town and bought up all the toilet paper and then sold it for a higher price on Amazon? <laughs> they had to they had to ban several people from doing that. Yeah, and hand sanitizer too, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm trying to get them to overturn that ban because it's really hurting my Amazon purchases. Now that, <laughs> no, that was the first place I checked ban. if I could get it, but now they're on back order till April. Yeah, I I certainly have some mixed feelings with that. Even being a fairly hardcore free market guy, with uh, if if you run into those those constraints, you know where uh, you've got price gouging. I'm usually one to say let the prices you know fully adjust, and but at the same time you've got we we have the ability to constrain some of that, and I think we can in a successful way. Uh, I heard a a person commenting on price gouging and they say, you know, well, what's the rule for it? And they're like, well, there's no rule. But when you have somebody selling uh, what would normally be a $4.39 hand sanitizer for $79 on the street of of Manhattan, you just know it when you see it. (laughs) And so, you know, in the face of this, it is difficult to to see, but you kind of know it when you see it. And I, I think, I don't know having some things in place or at least the right to have it prosecuted after might help keep some of that in check. I'm not sure we get real good results if we have complete, although I don't think people, you know, with the hand sanitizer thing, there were substitutes available. Like if people were really thinking through and weren't caught up in the hysteria, they'll probably would find a suitable substitute and not buy the $79 hand sanitizer. So I think it is really situational. Yeah, that's an argument possibly for having those decisions be done at the lowest possible level. If you want to permit stores to adopt any rules they want about how many uh, units they're willing to sell to any individual. And I assume they can. I don't I don't think there's any law that says as long as it wasn't discriminating by race or, you know, the protected classes. I can't imagine if they had a limit three or whatever. I mean, I guess stores do that all the time with couponing, but even on maybe regular purchases that should be well within their rights to, to set a limit. It ought to be. I'm 
Yeah. I have, I have no idea about the, the legal reality. Of and it. again, that would just make patrons think, oh, it's nice that Walgreens is fair. I, in my perception, they're being fair by only allowing a limit of two or a limit of three or whatever their limit is. Um, yeah. And that would help gain them long-term business by them having some of those constraints. So this goes back to Locke's constraint on private property, right? That you're only allowed to accrue private property so long as there's enough for everybody else, enough and is good for everybody else. Mm. Yeah. So that's Locke's critique of toilet paper hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's worth, I think everybody kind of knows it, but uh, from an economic standpoint, the public good nature of this is, is really interesting with the, our health and safety we normally would say you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt other people. A person with zero symptoms would say, I'm, I can go out and I'm not worried about running the risk of the virus, but we have uh, young people that might be asymptomatic now we've learned where they can be carriers but not be displaying any of the signs. And so, you know, does, uh, do we, do we have kind of this public good? Should we allow government to, pass laws that really restrict our freedom because of that situation. It is not an easy one. Yeah. And I mean, not only can, or can they be asymptomatic, right? But especially if they're young people, they can be asymptomatic and then also be unaffected in a dire way by the virus itself. Right. So they can right. pay very, very little price uh, yes. even in the long run. Uh, yeah. Which is true for most of us that are younger and healthy. It's like, Oh, well I'll get the flu. Who cares for one day? I, I still want to go to Vegas. Right. So uh, <laughs> listeners, the three of us, uh, Justin, Jacob and I, we're going to be going to a conference in Las Vegas here in a couple of weeks. And that is now the conference is as far as I know still scheduled, but our university has placed restrictions non essential domestic travel, which to me going to Vegas for conference is pretty essential, but apparently uh, by their definition it might be non essential <laughs> travel so <laughs> I think you know going to Vegas in any capacity might be like the equivalent of licking the world's door handle <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say that's probably true. Probably did, true. Wasn't there wasn't there one of us who said that ah, the conference probably wasn't going to happen? There was a yeah, it was. It was me. Now it's still on. It's still on. <laughs> you, you said the conference was still going to happen. I said there was at least a fifty percent chance that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> okay, but as far as I know, it's still on. So yeah, there's nothing on the website about just, it being taken off. Yeah, I'm not on, but uh, it's on. So. We'll see. Again, it's day two. <laughs> All right. Well, this, this looks like a good place to break for a bit. And um, we can come back and, and think about uh, maybe the faith component a little bit with our thinking about our neighbors as we go through this, uh, this crisis and, and delve a little bit more into the public nature of, of health concerns. So we'll be back in 30 seconds. The Gortney Institute is seeking a graduate assistant. Earn your MBA with full tuition by participating in fun and impactful events. For more information, check out the Gortney Institute website. To ask a question for our mailbag, send us an email at info at
or call us at 785-248-2551. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Justin or Russ today. So we are figuring out all of the nation's troubles with Corona here. And I think from a biblical standpoint, we're really thinking about how we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And it gets complicated when we've been forced to not allow ourselves to associate with other people, even voluntarily. So what I was imagining is I want to pose to our philosopher here, Justin, if 200 young people, uh, contrary to the now recommended, what, what we started off at 1,000, and then we dropped to 500, and then we dropped to 50, and now we're down to 10, yeah. I think, right? All in a matter of each day, the, the limits dropped. Um, again, I don't think they're arresting people if, they're, if it's larger than 10, but it's like the suggested guidelines. So, so 200 young people who um, probably at most would just get a common cold, but they choose to want to congregate together. Should we allow that given the circumstances? And, and they like sign a pact with each other. Like I promise that I haven't been exposed and like there's a contract or something between the 200 and they're like, I, but I, at the same time, I recognize the risk I'm taking on. I'm not all unemployed and they don't go anywhere. <laughs> Well, since this is imagination land with the with the contract, why not just have an imagination where there isn't a coronavirus? But look, hey, that's a good idea. Look, so, since we have to work out questions for the way the world really is, we know that they're not going to sign a contract. And if they did, that it wouldn't be accurate because they can't know if they've been exposed to anybody. Right. Right. Now, yeah. the question is, the day after they have their little gathering, do you allow them to go shopping uh, where they're going to run into and touch products that elderly people are going to contact. Yeah. The whole problem is that is trying to reduce the transmission of the virus from people who don't know that they have it and are young. And this is assuming that these young people are educated about what they ought to do and uh, making prudent decisions. And I've been young and I know at least one of those didn't apply to me for you know 50% of my life. So. The argument for not doing it is just that it's for not allowing it is just that, look, it's super, it's super risky. And we know, given that, you know, I think you've seen pictures of like, this is what Nashville's bar looked uh, like on Sunday night. And it's, it's completely packed. You know, the beaches in Florida are still packed. I was talking to a friend of mine in LA and he said, I've, you know, they're, they're shutting down restaurants tomorrow. So I got to leave because me and my girlfriend have to go uh, get a, a couple more cocktails at our favorite bar. <laughs> our last, our last meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like make sure you go high five some people while you're there. You know? like, um, so look, the, the whole question is how do you balance freedom with 
uh, with safety or security and the trying to prevent people from harming other people. And uh, I don't see how just because people, young people accept the risk of it, that that somehow diminishes the risk that they pose right. to other people. That's yeah, the problem. I, I think I agree with that. So let me ask you this. Do you think at this point has the government overstepped what's constitutionally allowed with the rules that have been in place? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> uh, almost certainly, I would say. Um, well, I, I was almost going to say maybe not. And, and here's my thinking is we basically, if the government goes and buys new weapons of mass destruction, takes out a terrorist like, like he did you know, a couple months ago or whatever with the general, we've extended kind of a blank check when it comes to whatever, however blurry line they label national security. And I think by most stretches, we have Americans at risk, a, a large fraction of Americans at risk, and that this could be considered close to war, national security, or what would fall into that fuzzy area. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering, and I don't know this, that's why I, I, this is definitely an open question. Um, maybe they are operating within constitutional rights at this point. I'm sure you could make, and I'm sure the arguments are being made, that, you know, the Commerce Clause, the way, they, the, way the federal government interprets the Commerce Clause uh, would allow it to do just about anything it wants in this case, because it does affect interstate trade or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so in that sense, sure, if we can justify anything by the Commerce Clause, and this is anything, then therefore this is this is justified. But it does seem to explicitly violate some t forms of freedom of association that most people do think are yeah uh, are gu guaranteed by the Constitution. And, yeah, yeah, um, it, it's violating some norms, if nothing else, that have been established. But again, given the reasoning, I, I think it could be within what we've powers we've conveyed to government. I think, like you were saying, that the the more troubling thing is after this thing is passed, what sticks? That's the part that I think is is the real question that would be a a constitutional fight. Like maybe a judge, a constitutional judge, would look at this and say, "Okay, yeah, I get what happened during March, April of COVID nineteen." But now we're a year out, and I think government, you're being sued by the people <laughs> to restore freedoms back to where to some level they were before, and that that's justified. And the other thing to think about isn't only what sticks, but think about how you answered that question for whether or not this this would currently violate the Constitution. And uh, you answered that question by by stating precedence, right? Well, if what we did with this is okay then this will be okay. Then this should be okay. Now, yeah. this won't just probably stick, but it will count as precedent when they try to introduce further things. And, yeah. Uh, that worries mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. But so absent intervention, though, I mean, who can make someone stay in their house, though? If the government has a, has a monopoly on coercion, how else would you contain it? I mean, that's kind of been my whole thing with this. Yeah, if, if you think I have some kind of answer for the question about what to do here, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I think there's a lot of trade-offs, and I don't see a really great way forward. I think maybe what if instead of shutting down the entire service sector and 
we have uh, rest or sorry, shelter in place orders in San Francisco and will probably go into New York. That means that it's a misdemeanor for you to go outside of your house for anything other than um, probably like food and medicine, essential services or to engage in essential activities, whatever that mm -hmm. means. Uh, what if instead you just had a mandatory uh, shelter in place for anyone who is eligible to receive social security, so over a certain age, and then you automatically jacked up those social security payments to compensate for the fact that you have a mandatory shelter in place order for them. So we're just going to make all the vulnerable, sickly people go bunker down somewhere and, and, it, and a big safety net. And to, to do make, it. Yeah. 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 To make them stay at home so that they're having minimal contact with people. And it would seem like that would have been a, and again, this is just off the top of my head or whatever. Yeah. But, no, I, uh, I like that. You know, targeted approaches to the most vulnerable people. So we, we come up with a list of those categories of people that are most vulnerable. And then you come up with something that helps them directly rather than placing these economy-wide restrictions, which are going to be, I mean, if service sector yeah. employees can't work and if restaurants can't turn a profit, they can't pay their rent. Oh, so yeah. Now uh, you have to, what, suspend evictions for restaurants who can't pay their rent uh, during the time that the government's closed them? And then what happens to the property management companies? And like right. this, sets, this is a whole chain of disaster and slow motion events that I think is going to play out over the yeah, next Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think you're spot months. on with that. I, I, and I, that's a great idea. I, I think we could be, by being more targeted, we won't hurt other vulnerable populations that don't, i.e. young people that are living paycheck to paycheck that just lost their service job. That's another vulnerable population that doesn't need to be impacted by this one size fits all. Let's just everybody has to hunker down a hundred percent because that safety net could be really big too. And, and maybe people weren't thinking creatively. Like if you think of all the dollars that it's taking to shut down everything, if we just really bumped up the, again, the aged population that you, that you're referencing and just made it really lucrative for them. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah, that's a no brainer. I'll stay home. You're going to buy me a, a 60 inch flat screen TV and pay for my cable subscription and, and unlimited Hulu, Netflix, you know, all the streaming sites. You see what I mean? I'm just getting creative on like, how could we make it real comfortable for vulnerable populations? That would probably be a better answer. I bet we'd have a lot less waste of dollars by really targeting heavily the ones that we're trying to protect in a more yeah. careful way. And you can also let the virus then burn through the population of people who are not susceptible of being harmed fatally by yeah. it. How do we know it's going to work? What if we just keep passing it back and forth? Well, that that's, I mean, you're right. I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't think I mind this extreme measure right now while we get our arms around this thing and we're all learning about it. But to think about these restrictions for, like you just said, the service people, if they're out for three months or something, I mean, that, that's going to just lead to some really bad outcomes that I don't think we're prepared to cover. And those people, uh, you know, they filed for unemployment yesterday. So it's not like, it's not like that can be undone in a lot of very easily. Yeah. It's much harder to, to start things back up, I think, than it is to, to stop them. And it was hard to stop them. So I'm, I'm very worried about that. 
Well, I, I had another thought on what's gonna what's it gonna be like after we do get through, um, which just seems like not the thing to talk about right now, but too bad. I wonder if there's an opportunity for people who are more liberty minded like we are to uh, people might have a, a refound uh, appreciation for freedom now that they've been told you have to stay in your home. So you see what I'm saying? Like we might be able to take that, those feelings that we've all felt now. We've never felt that before. We have a huge population of people that have never even had a clue of a government telling them you have to stay in your home or you, you were shutting down businesses or whatever. Now all of a sudden, I think liberty-minded people could c come back and say, wow, let's, let's all work hard to have laws in place that allow us to flourish with freedom now that we've all experienced what it would be like to have a big police state. You see what I'm saying? Like there might be some opportunities there. I mean, I see what you're saying. It's, I think it's really optimistic and I'm a long-term optimist, but I'm a short-term pessimist. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I think if we look at a similar, I mean, look at 9-11. Nobody before 9-11 had re known what it's like to be treated like, you know, essentially an animal when you're trying to board a plane. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and now it's, it's a kind of lived, you know, we are now accustomed to it. We've grown completely, you know, we're completely accepting of the fact that once you step into an airport, you have zero civil rights anymore. Well, we, and we also developed a way to um, overcome that with TSA pre and global entry. So that helps you pay your way to get better treatment, I guess. It's still not the most pleasant, but it's pretty. Yeah, so the idea that uh, this will maybe allow elites to buy themselves, a, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't find that comforting. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And, and it, luckily, with the TSA Pre, it's not, it's not too bad. But yeah, you're right. It should be, uh, uh, when it comes government-imposed in a way, and it's not voluntary on both sides, then that that's not the way the market system works because you've got voluntary on both sides, not government setting down a, you can't do this, but if you pay some money, I'll let you do this. Kind of reminds yeah. me of paying double on your speeding ticket to get out of, to get it reduced down to a parking fee. I think that's a racket, but that's maybe <laughs> a different podcast at some point, so... Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for liberty, but I often find that liberty is a tough sell, um, especially to people who've grown up, you know, without it. I, I, I don't yeah. think the absence of liberty necessarily makes one thirst for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think culturally we see that on places that former Soviet Union and other places that have, have grown up in that culture, they're like, want more direction, perhaps. So... Uh, us human beings are pretty complex, it turns out, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jacob, why don't you tell real quickly your, your story with your uh, roommate? Because I, I yeah. think this is an interesting one. So, yeah, my roommate just went to Denver. Uh, he left Saturday, I think. And, I mean, it's it's gotten significantly worse since then. And now I don't even know if I should let him back into the house. And uh, my dad's 75, my stepmom's over 70 with COPD, my mom's in her 60s and owns a bar, and so it's like, if he comes back, I don't want to take it to the bar, you know, I have to make my mom shut, that bar shut down earlier than it's going to probably have to anyway, 
And it's just, I don't even know if I should let my roommate into my the house. Like, it's, it's crazy. So I think it's an interesting uh, property rights question, right? So it's Jacob's house, by the way, listeners. So he owns the house. He leases out the property to a person. I assume when he left, you did not make some... If you leave now, you've broke the lease and don't bother. It wasn't. It wasn't as crazy then. Uh, exactly. It's gone. exactly. There was you none in Kansas or Denver when it, yeah. it happened, and now all of a sudden it's. So the big question is: is is Jacob obligated to let this guy back into his house, or could he reasonably say, "Sorry"? Well, I just don't want to make it. I don't want to put him before my family's health or livelihood. I mean, he lives two hours away. I'll put his TV and PlayStation outside. He can grab it and go home to his parents' house. <laughs> It's like I'm putting him in danger is how I feel. It's like he's putting you in danger. Right. Right. And I called yeah. the health department yesterday at like nine in the morning and they haven't called me back because I was asking what their recommendation was. But that's a, this is really serious for you. Yeah. yeah. He's really seriously wondering if he should let his roommate back in. I think there's a, a good argument for saying if your parents live ten, two hours away, I mean, does he have to be at your address for anything in particular does he work no i mean all of his classes are online now right (laughs) yeah i i think there's a you have a very plausible claim to say i'm sorry man given where you've been and given where i'm going to go with my family uh, i can't have you in the house you could i've seen a lot of recommendations for people traveling as soon as they come back just to do two weeks of quarantine and i I Mm -hmm. can't do that yeah 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 you could also say, I'll go live with my parents for two weeks. See, I have a dog and I own the house. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you do have greater rights, by the way, as an owner-occupied dwelling. Just in general, like, you can discriminate against race. If, if you were... If well, a, I don't do that. If for a, the I know. It's just for the record, he doesn't. But, <laughs> but, it, but the, laws, the law kind of makes sense in this case. Basically, they're saying, if, if you don't like Catholics and um, you're just going to get into a fight with them and a Catholic comes, you put a for rent in, of a bedroom in your house, in your own house and a Catholic comes and you're like, sorry, man, I don't rent to Catholics. He's like, that's discrimination. I just got hired by the Knights of Columbus. It, I want to make it clear. It, I like Catholics it too. It is. It's kind of a special carve out in the law that you huh. are well within your rights to discriminate against. So Catholics. what about like squatter um, rights? Because um, like, I, I know for a while, squatter rights is a little different. Well, but, because, if they get mailed to the house, don't they have 30 days to vacate? And I don't know how that how that works now. That, and that's what I'm saying. I think you're going to have a little bit more liberty on uh, your your rights trumping theirs because it's your it's your dwelling hmm. and you own or occupy it. So I I think if you want to tell them to uh, to go, you could. Um, you of course risk a lawsuit, but I think if you prorated his rent accordingly the day that he wasn't allowed at that's minimum. not what i was thinking is telling him to just take a week or two off of rent yeah that's the best i can really if, do if you did that i i think a judge would probably support you given the circumstances i mean yeah, and, and, and the most the most he'd be limited to, to his monetary damages anyway like he, if he came to you oh i'm gonna, I'm gonna sue you for ten thousand dollars of pain and suffering <laughs> or something that's not going to fly. Yeah. So it would have to be hard monitoring. You know, I feel like it's on him, too, a little bit to go take this trip. With all and by the way, happening. I am not an attorney, so I probably should have put that disclaimer right at the top that I am not giving you legal advice. I advise you to consult your attorney, but uh, that's... Well, I've talked to my mom. Law, according you know, to economist Russ McCullin. I probably okay. shouldn't give any more advice since, given Russ's comments, this podcast <laughs> is, is going to be canceled anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, Jacob, you might, since it's 
two weeks, right, is what you need him to be gone for, you might offer to prorate his rent for a month um, and yeah. make it really in his best uh, best interest. Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, he does have a hassle fee on top of that or something. Yeah. Whatever you yeah. do, you, you can make that offer and then if you can memorialize it in writing somehow, like, okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'm thinking. Maybe a short little email. That would be the best. Yeah. Um, rather than verbal too. So, I was just going to, yeah, they definitely get it in writing. Yeah. 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 And then if he says no, you can say it. Well, guess what? <laughs> well, you yeah. shouldn't have lost your key to the house. Right. Huh? Exactly. If he <laughs> says no, then you can just say, well, sue me. Yeah. You're not, I'm not allowing you back in. And if you come, I'll call the police. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, that, that would be where you're at. If, if you want to draw the line. I mean, like I said, it kind of just feels like my family's livelihood. So yeah. especially my mom owning the bar. I mean, I know it's probably limited days until the bars get shut down in Topeka. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not sure we uh, uh, did all the problems. So next week's episode <laughs> will be on Corona part three, probably would be my guess. Uh, uh, th- this is going to be something that's going to be talked about for generations. So if we're allowed to come back to the campus uh, to do it. And as we've brought up during this podcast, so many interesting philosophical and economic applications, it's just rich. So I'm sure we're right around the corner from something else next week. So I will be doing this on ham radios next week. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, and publishing it on Urbit. If, yes. Uh, listeners who <laughs> listened to that in the past. All right. Well, on behalf of the Gorton Institute, we appreciate you all listening out there and make sure you give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear and uh, tell your friends about us. Um, we also have a little donate button at the Institute.org. So uh, for activities like this and the other things we do at Ottawa University and, and around the community, uh, we sure appreciate your support. So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.